Thanksgiving is so awesome, isn't it? Um, because of the food? Yeah, gravy. <clears throat> we're uh, we're going to be doing a different um, Thanksgiving at our house this year. You know, we're, normally we do turkey and all that type of stuff, but uh, my daughter Alana, who's at college, is coming home, and we were talking, and so we're going to be doing an Asian Thanksgiving, so we'll be making gyoza, we're going to make some Colby ribs, we're going to have rice, and it's going to be awesome, um, so I'm excited about that. I, I do love Thanksgiving, though, and uh, I've shared before, you know, some of the reasons why I think there's a lot of tradition around Thanksgiving. Um, by the way, Terry, it is so good to see you. Terry Blake, I'm just going to call you out right now. Say hi to everybody. Terry's been working Sundays, so Terry, we love you. So good to see you guys. Um, give him a round of applause. Jeez. <clears throat> I don't know. I'm so happy right now. I just want to hug you. You're going to, yeah, I'm going to hug you later, though. It's going to be great. Uh, anyway, so Thanksgiving's great. There's all these traditions around it, and the tradition growing up that I hated was the whole my mom make us go around the table and share what we're thankful for. Anybody do that in the room at all? And I hated it growing up, and now I love doing it. It's like so weird how that changes, but we have these rules where it's like, you can't say the same thing, but there's all these things about Thanksgiving that are really, really fun, and um, every year, though, this is a tradition I have in my own life where I always get to Thanksgiving week and I'm like, you know what? I really want to learn more about the original Thanksgiving. Anybody ever do any studying on that? It's the first one. Did you know today or this week is the 400th year anniversary of Thanksgiving? 400 years. There's a really great book um, about the first Thanksgiving that I read a few years ago by Robert McKenzie. This is it. And this is my tradition. Every year... <laughs> I restart this book on Monday, the week of Thanksgiving, and I make it to chapter four, and then Thanksgiving comes, and I stop reading it, and next year, I'll do the same thing, but there's something really important about Thanksgiving, because I love that we have something that is designed to slow us down for a moment, to help us to recognize God's blessings in our life. And just for one moment, before we jump into today's sermon, would you do me a favor, the honor of just closing your eyes for a moment? Because <clears throat> I think that this may be a moment for us to be able to just slow down and to think about one thing that we can be grateful for, one thing that God has done in your life that you can be grateful for. What's one thing right now that you can be grateful for? that you can discern that God has done for you, done around you, done through you. So I think this is important, this idea of gratitude, this idea of, of thanksgiving. And so um, I'm just praying that each one of you this week, while you're celebrating thanksgiving, that you would stop to take some time to be grateful. Amen? And so Father, would you help us with that? Would you help us to be grateful people? Would you help us to be a grateful community? And Lord, now as we spend some time looking at scripture and, and wrestling with it and thinking about how it applies into our lives, would you do a couple of things now, Lord? Would you encourage our hearts where encouragement needs to happen? Would you teach us truth? Would you bring conviction where conviction is needed? and that you would help us to experience love, hope, peace, 
joy and every other attribute and characteristic of your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You know, we've been talking about uh, the subject of spiritual gifts the last month, and we've been working through 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and we finished that last week. And if you have missed a sermon, I really encourage you to go and you can listen to one of the podcasts that we have, and those are available. Uh, if you have an iPhone, you can get them on the Apple podcast. If you have an Android phone, you can get them on the Android phone. And I feel like just for a moment here, how many of you by show of hands have an iPhone? Okay. And how many of you have an Android phone? This is a pretty diverse community. Now, here's a really important thing. How many of you have a flip phone? Good, good job. Yeah, God bless you. I, res I respect that. Yeah, they are back. They're cool now. So we've been looking at spiritual gifts. And so you can download those sermons if you want to catch up. And we've been talking about the subject of, of how they um, are supposed to be exercised in community. And we are talking about how, you know, Jesus designed the church to be a community of people and that we were never ever intended, it was never ever intended for us to like do our spirituality in isolation or by ourselves, but that we're actually taught in the Bible repeatedly to be in community together. And today I wanna look at a passage of scripture that um, is probably a passage, if you've ever been at a wedding, you have heard part of this passage. It's a really popular passage of scripture um, having to do with love. And we're going to dive into this. And the context, again, of this passage is Paul talking about how to exercise spiritual gifts. He's talking about how we do this, how we do community, and how we need to be a loving community. But this is what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. He says this. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't love others, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. I would have gained nothing. You know, in the book of Revelation, uh, the last book of the Bible, uh, if you're following, you know, a reading plan, you might know that Revelation is the last book, and you might, you might have read some of it. Um, it's, it's one of those books of the Bible that a lot of people either avoid or a lot of people can't get out. It's basically the two approaches. People are only in Revelation or they oftentimes just avoid it. But in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, it's really fascinating. There are seven letters that Jesus wrote to the church, to churches. He writes seven letters to, to the seven churches that were located in what is today modern Turkey. And so he writes these letters. And in each one of these letters, it's really fascinating because he addresses specific issues that those churches were facing. And I love that for many reasons, because I love the fact that Jesus knows intimately about what's going on in the local church. So like he knows, like the church of Laodicea, for instance, is struggling with, with something. He knows the church of Sardis is struggling with something. He knows that the church in Red Bluff is struggling with something. He, he's very specific in it, but there's this statement in his letters that I find really interesting. He says, but I have this complaint against you. And so oftentimes what Jesus does is he says, hey, listen, to the church of dot, 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 
I see that you are doing this and I want to encourage you. And he's, he offers like some praise and some, some, some um, I think, hope to them. But he also has this, this phrase here. But I have this complaint against you. And man, I think it informs them um, in each one of those letters about things that they want to and need to change. And I don't know about you, but I appreciate that Jesus is honest. Amen? And like I've said this before, but Jesus loves us enough to not leave us the way that we are. He loves us enough to tell us where are the things that we need to change. And I love that about Jesus. Amen? Like he is challenging. And so folks who are like, oh, Jesus, it's just butterflies and rainbows. Like, listen, you need to read more of the Bible. There's some things that Jesus is challenging us from. And so he does this in, in the letters to, to these churches. He actually says, I have this complaint against you. And that informs the way that he interacts with the church. I think in a similar way, Paul is doing something just like that in this letter to the Corinthians. In fact, um, if you read this letter, you'll realize that Paul, A, has a long-term relationship with these Christians. He's, he's helped plant this church. He's helped pastor these church, this church. He's been involved in their lives, and he's, he's addressing things that they need to, need to hear. And so let me just kind of lay out some of the issues that they had as a church, okay? One thing that they had in Corinth is they had what were referred to as super apostles, and it was this group of people who were very quick to point out that they were apostles, and they had all the spiritual wisdom in the world, and they had all the spiritual gifting in the world, and they had all the insight and the teaching, and they knew everything theological that needs to be known, and they spent all of their time trying to teach the Corinthians things in order to control the Corinthians and manipulate the Corinthians and use the Corinthians. And Paul is like, church, wake up. These people are using you. They are manipulating you. They are teaching you things that are not actually true. And so that's one thing that contextually is happening here. Another thing is the Corinthians um, were like many churches where they had an overemphasis on certain spiritual gifts. I mean, and think about that. If you're good at something, you're going to emphasize it. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Right? Like, if you're good at something, that's you play to your strengths. And the Corinthian church was really charismatic. Like, they had Holy Spirit parties. Okay? Like, when they gathered for worship, they had ecstatic experiences where people would be filled with the Spirit and they would speak in tongues or they would prophesy. They had lots of miraculous things happening in their gatherings to the point, though, where Paul has to write them a letter and say, listen, just because you can prophesy and you can speak in tongues and you can have faith that moves mountains, if you don't have love, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. And so he's, he's writing with that context there. There's an overemphasis on spiritual gifts. And then I think also we see in the way that he teaches about the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, he says that there's, there needs to be more moderation happening. Like these people would gather together and when they would receive the Lord's Supper, some people would eat so much that other people didn't get any at all. And he says that's also not good. Like the church community needs to make sure that everybody's able to receive grace together. So that's kind of the context here. Paul's addressing some different things that the church in Corinth uh, was, was not doing well in. So in, in some ways he's saying, but I have this complaint against you. I have this complaint against you. Who cares if you can speak in angelic voices 
And you can know everything that God says. You can have these heavenly revelations. You can sacrifice your body. You can know everything about the Bible. If you don't have love, you are nothing. I mean, I don't know about you, but that is like strong language, isn't it? Are you with me? Like, that's what he says here. You are nothing. Like, oh, stings a little bit. Stings a little bit. And let me just add, by the way, I've said this before, but I think oftentimes when we read the Bible, most of us, if we're honest, we read the Bible as if we are the hero in the story. Have you ever noticed that? Like, if you're reading about David and Goliath, we are all Davids, aren't we? Like, oh, yeah, man, my, my boss is the Goliath, you know? Like, we read the Bible oftentimes as if we're the hero of the story, and, and I, I think oftentimes the Bible's written, actually, the Bible is written to encourage us, but could I just point out that the Bible's also written in a way that needs to challenge us and provoke us to consider the fact that we actually might have something that God also has a complaint about? He might actually have some complaints about the way that we live our lives or the way that we function as a community. That's kind of what I think we need to consider. And so we have this passage right here, which I think is somewhat of an indictment on the whole entire church. That's what I, I couldn't help thinking about that this week. Is, you know, it, it seems like every week I have a conversation with somebody who, who's telling me about their church experience. And, and you know, in this room right here, there, I just know, I can look out, I can see there are so many different church experiences in this room. And some of you have had really good experiences and other of you have had some really bad experiences. And you know people who have had really bad experiences. And if you've been around the church a lot, like you'll know there's all these different churches. There's all these different types of churches. And, and some of that is good. Like, I, like one example, okay? Like I just want to say I really wanted to ask Doug and Sue to give us a demonstration of the music. <laughs> like, yeah, do that one, do that song, you know? But like I, I think in one way, I'm, I'm really encouraged that there are churches that sing certain songs that other people enjoy, like hymns, right? Like, I love hymns. And I think it's important that there's churches where, you know, the old fuddy-duddies, is that a word? Yeah. Like, those people can go and enjoy it and sing their hymns and grow their beards and drive horse buggies, whatever it is they do. Like, I think that's not a bad thing, Right? Um, necessarily. Like, just like how I like to be able to gather and we can have guitars and drums and things like that. It's not a bad thing. But, but on the other hand, too, churches sometimes like play to their strengths to the point where they, they ignore other things. And so like, for instance, there's, there are charismatic churches. And by the way, we are a charismatic church. Like as our theology, we believe that the Holy Spirit is still at work today. Holy Spirit didn't stop. Amen. Holy Spirit's still at work. Like, we still pray for people who are sick. Why? Because people can get healed. People have been healed, right? These are the supernatural things happen. But as a charismatic who's grown up in charismatic churches, I want to remind charismatics that the Holy Spirit's also involved in a lot of other things. A lot of other things. And, and so charismatic churches often, oftentimes are really good about playing towards, towards the spiritual gifts and things like that. And that's really important. But they can neglect other things. In the same way, and this is what's interesting about Paul here, he's saying even though you prophesy, even though you speak in tongues, even though you have faith to do supernatural, miraculous things, if you don't have love, you are nothing. You are nothing. And so that's an indictment, I think, in some ways about charismatic churches that maybe overlook the other things. 
But he's also indicting other type of churches. I mean, I think like, you know, the, the evangelical church world generally is really focused on doctrine, having the right theology and knowing everything about the Bible. But what Paul's saying is he's saying, hey, even though you know all the theological answers, if you don't have love, you are nothing, right? He says it's just emptiness. And the same thing is true, I think, for any different type of church, you know, and I often wonder, and I'm not trying to be like a negative Nelly here, but I often wonder if we're willing to, to maybe be open to how the Holy Spirit might speak to us, how the Holy Spirit might speak to us and challenge us with some complaints that he has, both individually and collectively. Like, I think that's an important thing for us to do. And it takes, it, takes, it takes some bravery and courage to do that, doesn't it? Like individually, like for you to say, hey, what are some things I can work on? Did you ever notice people are really quick to let you know what you need to work on? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like, that's why we don't often ask that question. We're just like, everything is good. But, but if we really want to improve and we really want to become better human beings, we have to be willing to ask that question, don't we? We have to be willing to say, what are some things I can work on? And I think we as a church, and this goes for every church, we have to ask those same questions. Like, what are some things that we need to work on? What, what are we good at? We'll play to those strengths, but what are some things we need to work on? And I think the church has been, for a couple of years now, been going through some purification, and we've been challenged. Not just our church, I think churches in general. We're being challenged to, to become better versions of what we could be. And so I constantly ask that question, I think, in prayers. You know, Lord, what are some things that we could improve on? And I got to tell you, after spending a week just thinking about this passage, I got to tell you, without love, it does not matter what we do. Amen? Just without love, it doesn't matter what our focus is on and what we do. I was thinking about that a lot this week because... Um, you know, it was around, uh, around this time, I think maybe six and a half years ago, um, I went to England with a friend of mine, and while we were there, I was praying uh, about coming here. It was 2015, and, and Don and I had already come and visited Red Bluff, and we had fallen in love with the community, and we were just in this mode of like dreaming about moving here, and I remember I, I was on this train because we were traveling all over England doing all this ministry stuff, and I was on this train, and I was praying, and I, was, I had my iPad, and I was literally just taking notes about everything that I felt like the Lord was telling me we needed to do and blah, 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 and, uh, and I remember I felt with all of my heart, I felt like the Lord said, when you get to Red Bluff, you need to really focus on encouraging our community and our church to love our city. And that's where the Love Red Bluff thing was born. It was on a train. I kept hearing that over and over again. It's a funny story because I was like, okay, hashtag Love Red Bluff. Like the Lord's spoken to me. We got to move to this city and we got to encourage our community to love Red Bluff. Why? Because as an outsider, I was like, Red Bluff is awesome. Let me tell you why. Taco trucks. There's just one. And then there's also... You know, fly fishing, 365 days a year, oh my. And then there's great schools, and there's, there's just so many positive things, and then we can talk about the people 
The people of Red Bluff are amazing. Our community is amazing. Our community is generous. There's so many reasons why we should love our city. And it was like I just felt this, this idea birthing in my heart, and I had these seeds planted, and I just knew it. I was like, yes, I'm moving to Red Bluff, and I'm going to focus on love Red Bluff, and that's going to become a thing. It's going to be a thing. We're going to get T-shirts, we get hats. We're going to be totally in. Okay? And then I, I like had this moment, and I, I looked at the person who I was traveling with who by the way, is a huge mentor in my life, big time pastor, had this huge church. And I was like, all right, listen, I had a visitation from the Lord. And I shared with him this whole idea. And he said, that'll never work. (laughs) I was like, what? He's like, yeah. And then he just went on, you know, this rabbit trail. And, uh, and I laughed because I I think if it hadn't been for the Lord really clearly speaking to me about us needing to love our city, I would have like been like, okay, yeah, just move on to something else. But I really do believe that something that can be unique about us is that we don't just live in this city because we are forced to. Many of us, now some of you might be like, yeah, I can't get a job anywhere else right now. But most of you in this room, you live here because you love this city. And, you, and you, you know what? That's what Jesus wants us to do. He wants us to love where we are planted. And we need to love where we're planted and, and take the love that God is pouring into us and give it away to the community around us. That's, that's our mission. That's it. Like, that's what we're supposed to do. Amen? And so Paul here, I think, is, is really trying to encourage us to see that love needs to be the central, foundational reason why and thing that we do. He, he, he really is challenging us. And, and I think it's interesting because, you know, I was listening to 80s music this week. And then after I went through some 80s music, I was so grateful that I don't have to listen to that very often. And I know some of you are like, oh, I know, I'm sorry. So I got to the 90s, and I love the 90s music. Anybody else like 90s music? I mean, I love that somebody was asking, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. <laughs> and I'm listening to that song, and I'm just like, this song is so it's like, dun, 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 dun. And I have like this little dance party in my car. But um, have you ever stopped to, to observe how all these musicians over the course of time have been trying to wrestle with what is love and what is true and how we can have purpose and how we can make a difference? I mean, music, that's the thing I love about music is that it's, it's timeless. The same questions keep coming up over and over again. What is love? What is love? And if you listen to what the world says, you find some very unhelpful definitions for love. That's what I believe. Okay, I believe that. But this is what I I think we need to realize is that Paul here is, I think, encouraging us a bit to figure out what exactly is love. What is love and how should we live our lives as followers of Jesus? And oftentimes, this has happened so many times. So I'll start doing a premarital session with a couple that's going to get married. And Don and I have this running joke um, where when, like we, when we see people who are getting married, we always jokingly are like, oh, don't do it. It's so hard. Just kidding. No, but it is. You know, and like we just kind of chuckle about it. But we've done these premarital meetings and And I don't know if you know this, but right now in the world we live in, divorce rates are very high, even amongst followers of Jesus. 
right? Divorce rates are really high. So I always ask this question. I'm like, okay, so here, 50% of people who get married end up in divorce. What is gonna, what's gonna stop you from getting divorced? And the bride and the groom look lovingly into their eyes and look back at me and they're like, <laughs> love. And I'm like, everybody says that. Everybody says that, don't they? So truly, like, I don't know if we understand what love actually is. Because oftentimes we, we're operating on this idea of love based off of our interaction in the world or the songs that we hear. And so listen to this. I want to give you a definition for love that I, I really believe is, is biblical, it's true, and it's really an important way to think about what love is. This is what I think love is. I think love is working for and seeking the best for the other person regardless of whether it is good for you. The world's way of defining love is I will scratch your back if you scratch my back. Love, biblical love, is I will scratch your back regardless of whether my back gets scratched. And this is demonstrated to us by Jesus. Look at this, Romans 5.8, but God showed his great Love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, right? Love was demonstrated. And also in 1 John 3, 16, we know what real love is. Want to know what real love is? We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Let me just tell you right now, I think that if we lower the bar on what love is, we will always struggle to make a difference in the world that we live in. And I, I mean that across the board. Like, I don't think that you should get married to somebody who doesn't love you according to this definition. Amen? Amen. And I don't think that you should try to get married to somebody if you're not willing to love them according to this definition. This is what love is. Doing something for them regardless of whether it comes back and blesses you. And if you love somebody and you've gone through the challenges of love, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? You love them even though they don't do what you want. Some of you are laughing. Yep. <laughs> That's love. Love is working for and seeking the best for the other person regardless of whether it is good for you. So with this definition in mind, let's reread what Paul says to the Corinthians. Listen to this. He says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and angels, but didn't work for and seek the best for other people, regardless of whether it's good for me, I would only be a noisy gong or a clinging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but didn't work for and seek the best for other people, regardless of whether it's good for me, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't work for and seek the best for other people, regardless of whether it's good for me, I would have gained nothing. This is why we need to have a biblical definition for what love is. And the best example for love is Jesus. The best example of love is Jesus. So I have a friend and she planted a church and when she planted her church, she did it really inspired by you, by this community. When she planted her church, she was like, I love what you guys are doing in Red Bluff, this whole love Red Bluff thing. She's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna try to do that in my community. 
And I was like, well, for $99.99, I can get you a domain and I can help you do that. No. She's like, I want to do this. So what do I do? And I said, I don't know. Like, you got to go and figure out ways you can love your community, you know, and just start doing them. And I recommended a couple books for her and she just dived into it. And so she gets this church plant going and she's got a small group of people who are part of her, her love team. And they go out and they do these really practical, basic things in their community. So like in the summertime, it's super hot. They hand out waters. Um, they go out and do these, these, these things for people. And people oftentimes when you do them, they're like, why are you doing this? And every single time they get asked that, they say, we're just wanting to demonstrate the love of God in a practical way. Like, oh, they drink their water or whatever. And, and so she's, she's building this church and she's winning people to Christ and people are starting to join her little community and word got out that, that this was happening and, and another local pastor started speaking badly about her, started speaking badly about our church. And so she had asked me, she's like, well, you know, what should I do? And I said, well, what are they saying? And so, you know, first of all, they had an issue with her being a woman, which she couldn't change. Okay, she's, you know, just doing what the, what the Lord called her to. And, and so I was like, well, don't worry about that. You know, there's nothing you can do about that. Uh, you know, just move on from that. She's like, okay. I said, well, what's the second thing? She's like, well, when people ask this pastor about our church, he keeps telling them, that church, that's the love church. All they do is love people. And I said, there's a lot worse things to be known for. There are a lot worse things to be known for. And I was stirred by that. Like, man, I hope we can be a church that when people say, what's the Red Bluff Vineyard about? People would say, that church, they're known for their love. They're known for their love. And, and I want to have you stand up with me. And we're going to pray in a minute here. But I think it's interesting, this whole idea of being a part of a church community, it's, you know, there's a lot of questions about what kind of church we should be, and, you know, what kind of church are you, and I'm, I'm, I love, I, I love theology, I mean, I do, I think theology matters, I think what we believe about God matters, and I believe what we believe about human beings matters, because I, with all of my heart, believe that good theology frees people, and bad theology hurts people. Okay? I believe that, and I can give you lots of examples, but for right now, I just want to let you know that I think theology matters. So what I'm about to say, just keep that in mind. But it's interesting to me that when people first start coming to our church or going to churches, um, you know, most people just, they want to connect with somebody, they want to grow closer to Jesus, and then there's some people who really want to know what our theology is, and I think that's a good question, like what is our theology, and I would love to sit down with you, but could I also say this, that if you've been hanging out with us for a few months, hopefully you kind of know what we believe based off of how we love one another. Amen? Like hopefully you know what we believe based on how we love Jesus and how we love one another. And, and again, that's, that's, the, that's the aim, is to be a community where we love each other. And so let me just encourage us to consider that question. Are there things that Jesus has complaints about? in the way that we love, in the way that we love. I wanna encourage you to close your eyes right now. And just, as a, just for a moment here, 
The beautiful thing about what Jesus does for us is that, you know, sometimes he says, hey, listen, I've got some, I've got some complaints about the way you have been living your life. And you know, you might have some of those things popping up in your mind right now. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit right now is just bringing to mind some things that you've been doing or saying or believing that are just not, not God's will for your life. That might be true. But here's the beautiful thing about, about the kingdom of God is that every time Jesus reveals things that he wants to have us give up, he does so in a way that is inviting us to a better life. So it's never ever done in a way that's supposed to make you feel shame and condemnation. It's always done in a way that's supposed to bring you conviction so that you can say, I need grace. I need God's help. And so I want to encourage you, if there's things right now that are just popping into your mind that you're like, hey, this is definitely some stuff that I need to turn over, let me just tell you right now that there is grace. There is mercy. The Bible says that God's mercies are new every single morning. Every single morning. And so if there are ways that you have not been loving well, I want to encourage you right now to know that that what God is doing right now, I think, is inviting you into a world of love so that you can receive his love and then you can also take the love that he's poured into your heart and you can give it away to the people that are next to you, the people that you live with, the people that you work with, the people that you go to school with, the people that you interact with all over your life. But I also have this sense that, that there's just a couple of you in this room. and I, Like, I don't know how maybe talking about divorce has prompted you. I, I always really struggle to, to talk about it, I think, a little bit because I, I just hope that none of you feel like condemnation for that, you know, for divorce or for, for issues that you maybe have experienced as a child. Maybe your parents got divorced and you've never, ever been able to, like, move off of that and move on and, and be able to, like, I don't know, have some healing for that. And so just, I know this is going to, this is gonna require some bravery on your part, but I really feel like God wants to bring some healing about divorce this morning. I think he wants to help you experience love um, in, a, in a new way, both as maybe the child of people who got divorced or maybe because you've experienced divorce. And so if you would like to receive prayer for that, I'm gonna pray right now. I'm not gonna have you come forward, but just right where you're at, I think that God can meet you. And so if you want to lift your hands to receive, you totally can. But I'm just going to pray right now for God's presence and God's peace and his comfort and his grace and his mercy and his love to just fill you right now. And so, Father, I pray right now for any person in this room who has either been a part of a divorced relationship as a, as a married person or has, has been a child or maybe there's a grandparent in here who who, um, or a parent that has seen their kids go through that and they just have, have really struggled. I just pray in the name of Jesus right now for grace, just for grace right now, for healing and for peace. Would you help these folks, Lord, be able to move forward in life in a way that is, is healed and full and, and experiences all the grace of your kingdom?
right now, just with everybody's eyes closed and heads bowed, I just, one last thing I want to pray for is, you know, I, I, meet with, I meet with folks, I meet with you folks, I meet with other folks literally all week long, and something I hear all the time from people is they just don't feel loved. Just don't feel loved. They struggle with feeling loved. They struggle with feeling loved by God. They, love, they struggle with feeling loved by their family and friends. And, and, and I just want to tell you right now, if, if you're here this morning and you, you can identify that that's something you often struggle with as well, you just don't feel loved, I'm going to pray right now for you because I think God this morning wants to fill your heart with love. In fact, Paul says that the reason why the Holy Spirit has been given is to fill our hearts with his love. So Holy Spirit, I pray right now for any person in this room that does not feel loved, I pray that you would right now just begin to fill them, that you would bathe them, that you would permeate every aspect of their being right now with the love of Jesus. Let me tell you, if you're, if you're in this room and you feel that way, if you feel that you don't matter and you don't know if you're loved, I want to tell you right now that the way that we know that we are loved is that God demonstrated his love for you. Talk is cheap, we all know that, but, but God demonstrated his love for you. That long ago, in eternity past, God had his eye on you. And 2,000 years ago, God's son Jesus lived perfectly on this earth. He was sinless. He did no wrong, and yet he was found guilty and condemned by the legal authorities at that time, and he was crucified. He was nailed to a cross. And I want you to know right now, God, his son, Jesus, was nailed to a cross because he loved you. And it's not like this real big blanket love, you know, where it's like, well, he had to do that because he loves everybody. Let me tell you right now, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you in all of your brokenness. He loves you with all of your questions. He loves you in all of your failures. He loves you with all the, the shame and guilt and condemnation that you probably are holding on to. Jesus loves you. He loves you. He loves you. And so, Father, right now, would you just help everybody in this room know your love, to know it, to know the height, the width, the depth, and the length of your love, Jesus. Help us to know your love, Lord. Lord, I, I ask that also this love would become the foundation all that we do, all that we say. And then as we transition now from this place of gathering together and singing songs and praying prayers and engaging with scripture, Lord, would you help us to apply everything we talked about? Help us to become doers of God's word and not just hearers of it. Help us to take the love with which you have given us and to share it with every single person that we come in contact with. Hey folks, I just, 
you know, again, I just really have this strong sense, like, just taking a risk right now. I just really feel like there's a number of you in this room that my heart is is um, just really heavy for you because I, I have this sense that there's a number of you that, you know, like these prayers are fine, but there's there's still like an emptiness inside of you. And, and there's a couple of you in this room that really are struggling to be loved, really struggling to be loved. And I'm just gonna throw this out there. I, I'm just gonna invite you to come forward. If you would just be willing and brave and courageous to say, yeah, that, that's something I struggle with. I really feel like God is gonna meet with you this morning and he's gonna fill you up. But part of this is like you taking a step of faith, taking a risk, being courageous, humbling yourself to be willing to admit that. And so if, if that's you in this room, if you'd say, yeah, I, I've, I've got something going on right now. I, I think that the Lord wants to do something in your life. And so is there anybody that'd be brave enough and willing to, to just come forward and to receive some prayer? sense that God's presence is here right now and you know this might be the morning where you know something that you've been really struggling with and been wrestling with for a really long time this is this is potentially the morning where God delivers you from that team, as well as Bill and Katie, if they're here, to come on up and would you join us in prayer right now? Let's just, let's just hang out for a minute if you're okay with that. Um, I would like to encourage you right now. Um, maybe you have a sense of this, but I, like the Lord's presence is here right now. Yeah. Maybe it's new, maybe it's weird, maybe you're unsure, but let's just hang out for a minute here and just wherever you're at, you can totally be just praying. So Holy Spirit, would you just come right now in this room, just continue to make yourself known. 
Lord, for each one of these people up front, would you uh, just fill them right now and bring healing? So while these folks up front are doing business with God and getting prayer, I'm just going to pray a blessing for everybody else. And then I'd encourage you, if you could, to keep your conversation just down. And if you go in the foyer, go have some coffee. I bought a million donuts for you. And so, Father, I just pray a blessing on everybody else in this room right now. I pray for your your presence to, to go with each one of them. We thank you for all that you're doing in each one of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Folks, have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.